Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, praise team, instrumentalists. Appreciate that very, very much leading us in worship. I want to invite you to reach for your Bibles for our scripture reading as we continue in our series through the book of Ruth. Little book in the Old Testament, four chapters long, and we're going to be reading in Ruth chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. Ruth chapter 3. Verses 12 through 18. And we're going to be looking at this section in chapter 3, and uh, specifically when complications happen in life. How do we respond to that? And uh, well, the book of Ruth shows us that answer when complications happen, how we ought to respond. And so notice what it says here Ruth chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. It says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. This is Boaz speaking. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. And there's your complication for Ruth. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And so she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. I thank you for each individual each family represented here this morning, and I ask that you would speak to us through these verses here in Ruth chapter 3. Open our hearts, open our minds to your word now, Lord, and meet with us in a special way through the word that you have revealed to us. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. Well, let me ask you, how many had a good week last week? Raise your hand if you had a good week. How many had a bad week? Raise your hand. Anybody brave enough to say you had a bad week? All right, bad week, good weeks, or, or maybe you're like, I don't even remember the week I had last week. That's what kind of week it was. I don't even remember. But here's another question. How do you determine and how do you measure if you had a good week or a bad week? Well, here's how most people measure their weeks to kind of figure out if they had a good week or a bad week. If, you didn't, if your week went smoothly without any complications, then you had a, a good week. But if your week didn't go so smoothly, your plans were interrupted, bad things happened to you, complications happened in your life, then you kind of measure your week in a, well, it wasn't so good, it was rather bad. It was a bad week. For example, if you leave in the morning for a super important meeting at work, and you go down to your garage only to find that you got a flat tire, or your battery is dead, then you're off to a bad day. Or if you lock yourself out of the church and your cell phone is in the office. Yes, that has happened to me. And yes, I categorize that as a bad day. 
Of course, much more serious complications happen as well. And this coronavirus has shown that to be true. As businesses have shut down, people have lost jobs, graduations have been canceled, weddings have been rescheduled, and loved ones have died. And so we understand complications happen in life. And how we respond to those complications can make all the difference in the world. Now, we understand as well, sometimes those complications are very minor, somewhat trivial, more of a nuisance, if anything. And other times, complications are rather major. They're serious. They have grave implications on our lives. And sometimes complications happen as a result of our own choices in life. And other times, complications happen that are completely out of our control, such as this pandemic we are in. But one thing is for sure, most of the time, complications happen suddenly and without warning. Now, last week, we saw that Naomi had one great concern for her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who was still a widow. And that is that she would find rest. She would find security in the home of a loving husband. But who in Bethlehem would provide that for her? Who out there, what man could possibly be willing to provide Ruth, who is this foreigner, this Moabite, and provide her rest and security as her redeemer? Well, Naomi had just the right person in mind when she directed Ruth to Boaz, who was a kinsman redeemer in their family. And so Naomi hatched this plan that involved Ruth going to Boaz at the threshing floor in the middle of the night and basically asking him to marry her by this symbolic gesture of laying at his feet and asking him to cover her with his garment, which was a symbolism of commitment to marriage. It was a bold plan. But Boaz told Ruth, listen, I will do for you all that you are asking. Now, can you imagine if you're in Ruth's sandals about now, how the emotions within her are just swelling up, how excited she must have been. Boaz, their kinsman redeemer, has agreed to her proposal, has agreed to marry Ruth. Wow. Awesome. Ruth, you might say, she's having a good week. She's having a fantastic day. Why? Because, man, plans are happening as as Naomi planned out. But then suddenly, just as quickly, a complication happens that bursts Ruth's bubble. We see this complication in verse 12. Notice it again, where Boaz tells her, and now it is true I am your redeemer. And yet, 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 there is a redeemer nearer than I. You see, just when Ruth thought everything was going smoothly, according to plan, complication happens that will cause her heart to somewhat stop. Although Boaz was a close relative of Naomi's, apparently there was another redeemer who was even closer than Boaz. And because this Mr. So-and-so, in fact, it's interesting, we're never told who he is. He's never identified, although Boaz knows who this man is. The law required that this guy have first opportunity to serve as the family redeemer and to marry Ruth. 
So this must have been a rather bitter blow to Ruth, who at this point thought her marriage to Boaz was a done deal. But isn't that just like life? Complications happen suddenly, and most of the time at the worst possible times. Have you found that to be true in your life? No sooner do you fix the brakes on your car and the transmission goes out. I mean, that's just how it happens. Just as soon as you find a job, layoffs drive you back to the unemployment line. Six months after the doctor tells you that your cancer is in remission. And three months later, six months later, he finds a spot on the x-rays. That's how life happens. You commit to follow Christ. And all of a sudden, the choices in your past finally begin to catch up with you. But Naomi has some words of wisdom for Ruth. Notice Naomi's solution. The words of wisdom to this complication in her life in verse 18. Naomi tells her, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. In other words, Naomi is saying to Ruth, don't try to fix the problem yourself. Don't try to force the outcome or manipulate the circumstances. Instead, Ruth, sit tight and wait until you find out what happens. And when Naomi says, wait to find out what happens, she's not leaving the outcome to chance or to fate. She's not, this isn't philosophy of fatalism here that she's endorsing with Ruth. But rather, Naomi is putting her confidence in the hidden hand of God, what we have been calling the providence of God, who was working behind the scenes to accomplish his plans in our lives, even when we don't see it. You see, the reality is this, complications happen in life. They just do. My son Tyler is home this weekend with his wife, Serena. And their baby Adeline, and they 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 have experienced like many young couples, wedding plans turned upside down. Complications happen. I mean, just blew it all up, and so now they had to make Plan B, Plan C, you know. And that's just reality of life. This coronavirus has taught us that the last four months, complications happen in life. So how do we respond? How should we respond? Well, what we see from the example is Ruth. And here's the big idea. Here's the lesson to take home with you. Here's the lesson to apply in your life. Notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. When complications happen in life, be patient. Be patient and wait on the Lord to work. Be patient and wait on the Lord to work. Now, I'll be the first to admit, to confess, that patience, I hate patience. Wish it was not part of the fruit of the Spirit. Wish it was never in the Bible, but it is. Uh, Patience is a lost virtue in our world today. In waiting on the Lord, if we're honest, we will admit, is perhaps the most difficult thing to do in the Christian life. We have about as much patience as kids traveling in the car to Colorado on vacation. You just passed Topeka and they're already screaming in the back seat, are we there yet? Are we there yet? 
That's us in the Christian life. We resist waiting on the Lord because our natural tendency is to fix the problem ourselves, is to manipulate the circumstances or even people involved in those circumstances. So we insist on helping God out as if somehow God needs our help. And when we do, we tend to only make matters worse. So no wonder David says in Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now, because most of us here, in fact, I would probably venture to say all of us here, because we have such a difficult time waiting on the Lord, I want to, for the next few minutes here, simply show you three reasons right out of this story here why we can wait patiently on the Lord to work, especially when complications happen in our lives. And here's the first reason why we can wait. Because of God's concern for us. Because of God's concern for us. Now, Ruth is riding on an emotional roller coaster when Boath agrees to marry Ruth and then immediately reveals that Mr. So-and-so is a closer relative who has the first rights to her hand in marriage. But because of his concern for Ruth... Boaz immediately then reassures her. He tells Ruth, listen, I will take care of this unwanted and unexpected complication. And we see this in verse 13. When Boaz tells Ruth, remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Now, do you think Ruth slept any more that night as she's kind of waiting through this, waiting for morning to come? I doubt it. I think Ruth probably laid awake, wondering in her mind who was going to be her husband. Is it going to be Boaz or some guy she's never met yet? And trying to imagine the best case scenario and the worst case scenario. And yet all she can do in the middle of the night there is wait and leave the matter in the hands of Boaz. And in the morning, Boaz demonstrates something to her. That is his loving concern for her by doing two things. By protecting her reputation and providing food for her and Naomi. We see this in verse 14. Look at it. It says, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize her. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came through the threshing floor. Why? Well, Boaz shared Ruth's concern for protecting her reputation as a woman of noble character or worthy character. We might even say a virtuous woman. And to do so, protecting that reputation among the people of Bethlehem, especially since, and we talked about this briefly last Sunday, that the threshing floor, which was outside of the city, Normally, you know, that's where the men would come to do their work of threshing the grain. That's where also prostitutes would come to offer their services. So now you can put two and two together and kind of connect the dots. Here's a virtuous woman in Naomi coming to Boaz in the middle of the night. It could be perceived. The gossip may even come about, well, she's no better than one of the prostitutes. She's a Moabite. But Boaz wants to protect that. Protect her reputation as a woman of noble character. That's his priority here. 
And so notice, he comes up with this simple plan in verse 15. He says, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her, and then she went into the city. Now, more than likely, the measure of barley was around 60 to 100 pounds. That's a lot of weight, a lot of barley to be carrying, yet Ruth does this. Here's the gist. Boaz provided Ruth with a huge amount of barley to carry back home. And the point of all this is this gave Ruth confidence to wait patiently on Boaz to work everything out when everything inside of her wanted to jump ahead and work it out herself. But Ruth trusted in Boaz's deep concern for her and waited patiently on him to work things out. And that concern mirrors God's concern for us even today. You see, as Christ followers, we we can be patient because we know God is concerned for us as his children. He loves me. He knows what I need. He knows when I need it, even better than I do. And if God fails to intervene when I think he should intervene, it's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he's out to get me. Rather, we know that God works all things for our good and his glory. In fact, in the words of the Apostle Paul, he put it like this in that very familiar verse, and most of you know in Romans eight twenty eight. and we know that for those who love God, that is, he's their priority in life. God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And so although it is hard, it is difficult, it can be uh, really difficult, we can wait patiently for God's help because we know that God cares for us. There's no doubt when complications happen in our lives, it is tempting to doubt that God cares. It is easy to lose patience in what we see as his slow reaction time in the circumstances of our life. Our human nature wants to put the metal to the pedal. We want to race ahead of God and fix the problem. But that's when we need to wait on God to intervene. We need to trust that God wants what is best for us. Have you ever considered that God's delayed working in your life may just actually be an expression of his concern for you? You ever thought about that? Because his timing is best. He knows what's best in your life. So the first reason that we can wait, we should wait patiently on the Lord to work is because of God's concern for you. The second reason you can wait patiently on the Lord to work is because of God's commitment to you. His commitment to you. Now, if you think Boaz and Ruth had a hard time sleeping that night, just imagine Naomi's night. She's the one, after all, who devised this whole plan, and she probably lay awake wondering how her daughter-in-law was doing. Was the plan working or was it not working? And so when Ruth finally arrives back home from the threshing floor outside of the city of Bethlehem, Naomi naturally greets Ruth with a question in verse 16 that we would all ask, and that is, how did you fare, my daughter? In other words, Naomi's asking Ruth, how did it go? Tell me all about it. What's up? And then notice what Ruth tells Naomi in verse 17. 
These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Now that's interesting. Why? Why why would Boaz be so concerned about Naomi, the mother-in-law, at this point in the story? Well, this is not the first time we've actually heard that phrase, empty-handed. The last time we heard it was from Naomi's own lips. You may remember back in chapter 1 of verse 21, after Naomi came back to Bethlehem from living in Moab for 10 years, she basically said this. She, she blurts out, expressing her heart, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The context of all that was Naomi's bitter outcry against God for all the losses in her life. Remember, she lost her husband, he died, and she lost her two sons, they died. And now she was starving as well. And so her emptiness involved two things. She lacked food, but she also lacked an heir to the family. And so by hearing this word empty again, the author of the book of Ruth, he wants us to see these two scenes He wants us to set them up side by side in our minds so that we can compare them. And by mentally comparing these two scenes, we see how the scenes are, the solution is now provided, at least in part to Naomi's emptiness. You see, through the generous gift of barley, Boaz reassured Naomi that she would now have plenty of food. She and Ruth would not go hungry. They would not be empty-handed again when it comes to food. God had provided for them once and again and over and over, and now he does it again. This resolved the first aspect of Naomi's emptiness, and at the same time, this gift of grain also promised a solution to the second aspect of Naomi's emptiness, primarily her lack of a descendant to carry on the family name. More than likely, Boaz sent this gift of grain to Naomi as kind of a sign of good faith to follow through on his own commitment to resolve the complication of the unnamed closer kinsman redeemer. In other words, one way or another, this gift of grain promised Naomi and Ruth would have a husband soon. Either he would be that husband, Boaz, or the other closer redeemer. And Ruth's marriage would give Naomi the chance now to have an heir to the family. So this gift of grain was a symbol of his commitment. It symbolized that God-given fullness was about to replace Naomi's tragic emptiness. And this teaches us that we too, we can wait patiently on God because of his commitment to us. Listen, with confidence, we can endure disappointing and painful circumstances because we know what about our God? We know he cares. And we know he's committed to us. Paul makes this clear when he rhetorically asks that question in the same chapter, Romans 8, this time in verse 31. And he says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can then be against us? Nobody is the answer. So let me ask you, are you facing a complication in your life even now? Do you feel overwhelmed by that complication? 
Do you wonder when God will come through for you in that complication? Remember, God is just as committed to you as Boaz was committed to Ruth and Naomi. This whole book is a picture of that. God is on our side. He only asks that we wait patiently on him to work. Yes, sometimes we must wait longer than Ruth had to wait. Indeed, God may ask us to wait years before he intervenes. But however long the wait, we can wait with confidence because of God's commitment to us. So the second reason that we can wait patiently on the Lord to work is because of God's commitment to you. The final reason you can wait patiently on the Lord to work is because of God's character. Because of God's character. You see, even though Ruth and Naomi rejoiced over the abundance of food that Boaz had given to them, Ruth was still left with the reality of her complication, right? That was not resolved. There was still another closer kinsman redeemer who was standing in the way of her marriage to Boaz. So what was Ruth to do? How could she respond to this complication in her life? Now I have to admit, if I was Ruth, and I, believe me, I'm not, after all, I'm a guy, right? Thus first, I'm... But if I was Ruth... I mean, I would have searched out this other kinsman redeemer. Well, Boaz, tell me who this dude is. Because I want to go see him. I want to have a little chat with him. And I basically want to tell him, here's how it's going to shake out. You're going to reject, you're going to refuse to be my redeemer so that Boaz can step up and be my redeemer and marry me. But notice the words of wisdom that Naomi gives Ruth in verse 18. This is amazing. Naomi says, wait. Now, immediately, we don't like that answer. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man, speaking of Boaz, will not rest, but will settle the matter today. In other words, Naomi advises Ruth to relax. Sit tight. And wait to see how the matter will turn out. In other words, don't try to fix the problem yourself. Don't try to force the outcome. Don't try to manipulate the circumstances or the people involved. And again, when Naomi says, wait until you learn how the matter turns out, she is not leaving the outcome to chance or fate. But rather, Naomi is directing Ruth to put her confidence in the hidden hand of God, in the providence of God, who is working behind the scenes to accomplish his plans through Boaz. Now, you've got to understand, though, Ruth was not accustomed to doing that, to taking this kind of advice. Ruth is not accustomed to sitting tight. I mean, just look at the story up to this point. So far, we have seen she firmly insisted on doing what? When Naomi tried to tell her to go back to home in Moab, Ruth insisted, no, I'm following you. I'm going to Bethlehem with you. She took the initiative once she got to Bethlehem to provide them food by gleaning in the fields. And then she boldly carried out Naomi's plan to arrange her own marriage to Boaz. Very forthright. And so clearly, Ruth has been one of the story's main, shall we say it, movers and shakers 
in this whole drama. But now Boaz would do all the moving and shaking. And Ruth would have to learn to wait and see how his moving would shake out. Now remember, Boaz had promised to take care of things. But what assurance did Ruth have that he would follow through? Was there a chance that Boaz might wait a day, maybe a week, or even change his mind in the process? And so, yes, Ruth had Boaz's word that he would act in the morning, but how could Ruth be so sure? Naomi reassured Ruth of her confidence in Boaz that he would act in the morning. But why was Naomi so confident? Well, we see why here in verse 18. Look what Naomi says to Ruth at the very end. For the man will not what? Will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now that word rest means to be quiet, to be inactive. In Psalm 83 verse 1, the psalmist used it to plead with God not to sit quietly by while his enemies plotted to destroy Israel. So to be quiet here has the idea to relax, to stop striving. And according to Naomi, that's what Boaz would not do. He is not going to sit quietly by. He is not going to relax. He is not going to rest until the matter is resolved. He would not take so much as a coffee break until the complication was resolved. It was the character of Boaz which inspired Naomi's confidence to say such a thing. He was the man who kept his word. He was a promise maker, not a promise breaker. He, what he promised he did, he was completely trustworthy. And so Ruth could now safely entrust her fate, her life into his hands. Whatever Boaz did would be in Ruth's best interest. Further, Boaz was a man who followed through immediately, we see here. He would not dilly-dally around. No other matters would distract his attention. No other issues in life would divert his efforts. In other words, you could say Boaz would not relax until he had settled the matter at hand. And that's why Naomi tells Ruth, sit back, my daughter. Take a chill pill. Relax a little bit here. Because she knows Boaz will not do that. He's working to resolve the complication. Now that's powerful because what we learn through Boaz is that our patience rests on what? On the very character of our God. See, it doesn't rest on us. God's character is completely trustworthy. And he is always true to his word. And that's why when complications happen, we, we as his children, we can sit back and we can actually relax a little bit instead of being all up in arms, instead of fretting and worrying and pacing because God is not doing that. He's working in us. He's working for us and he's working through us. Get this, for our good and ultimately his glory. And so 
if I may be so bold to say, I really think one of the reasons why we here in this room, we find it so hard to wait on God is because, again, if I can say it lovingly, we really don't know God. You see, we've heard about God. We know some facts about God. We know some stories about him. But we don't really know who he is in a personal way, in a relational way. We don't really know his character. Therefore, we don't really trust God, especially when complications happen in our lives. You see, why do you trust the people that you trust? Because you know who they are. You know the kind of person they are. You know the character that they have. Therefore, you trust them. So why don't we trust God? Enough to wait for him to work. I would submit to you it's because we don't really know our God. This is one of the benefits of reading the Bible chronologically through and doing it repetitively. I'm not saying read the Bible through five times in a year. It may take you two years, five years to read the Bible through. That's okay. But one of the benefits I personally have found of just reading through the Bible, and sometimes it takes me more than a year to do that, is you begin to connect the dots. You begin to see God's character at play in different scenarios, different circumstances with his people. And you're like, whoa, what God says, God does. You begin to see this in the history of God's people and now even in the history of the church, the New Testament. See, do you know who your God is? When you know who your God is, it is much more easier to trust your God and to have confidence in waiting on your God to work in you, through you, and for you. For your good, but ultimately for his glory. So, what should we learn from Ruth's complication? What lessons should we take home today? Here it is, plain and simple. We learn that complications happen in life. Would you agree with that? You bet. Complications happen all the time. You cannot run from that. You cannot hide from that unless you want to live in a cave. And even when living in a cave, you're going to experience complications because you're going to run out of food and water. So as long as you are alive, complications happen. So how are you going to respond? Here it is. View them as an opportunity to trust in the Lord. Well, how do we put this into practice? Well, perhaps an analogy will help. You see, God's work in our lives is often like a traffic signal at busy intersections. Sometimes God gives us the go sign. And, of course, we love that. He opens a clear path before us with clear directions to proceed. And when we see God's go, man, we get to go ahead too. And again, we love that. But other times, God flashes us the wait sign. And we hate that. And yet, that's when we need to stop and wait and trust. He leaves us no open door, no clear path, and he provides no direction. And so to ignore God's wait sign means we might be run over by the results of our own disobedience, which is what happens most often. 
And so God asks for our patience. He asks that we trust his concern for us. He wants us to rely completely on his commitment to us. And he desires that we bank our lives on his trustworthy character. And that's why we can wait patiently on the Lord to work. And trust that his timing is always perfect and that he will act exactly at the right moment. Yes, I fully admit, waiting on the Lord is the hardest thing to do in the Christian life. It just is. The complication seems too unbearable not to fix right away. Our frustration seems ready to boil over and we feel like we're ready to explode inside. But if God has flashed you the wait sign, then whatever your complication may be, follow Ruth's example and wait on the Lord. God has not abandoned you. He is at work in your life. He will sustain you if you will trust him. And one day he will change things. That one day may be tomorrow, maybe next month, next year. It may be when he returns. Until then, God wants you to be patient and he wants you to wait on him to work in you, through you, and for you, for your good, and ultimately his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time together. Oh, that we would take to heart and that we would embrace and heed the lesson here in Ruth. That we would wait and trust in your good and gracious character, Lord, knowing that you are working behind the scenes, even when we can't see it. Complications happen, so let us view them as opportunities to trust you, even today. In your name we pray, amen.